Welcome to Talking Teaching. This podcast brings forth discussions about effective classroom practice and the latest in educational thinking. Leading educational thinkers from around the world join us here at the Faculty of Education to share their expertise and perspectives. I'm Dr Sophie Special, your host for Talking Teaching. Talking Teaching acknowledges the traditional owners of the unceded land on which we work, learn and live, the Rwandri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nations. We pay respect to Elders past, present and extend that respect to other Indigenous Australians listening. We also acknowledge the place of Indigenous knowledges at the university and within education. Literary education is a vital part of every student's journey at school. As teachers, we understand that reading is a gateway to broadening perspectives and engaging with challenging subject matter. But how do we do this effectively in the classroom? Today we're delving into the world of literary education with two guests whose work has revolved around reading as a form of social change and the power of storytelling. They will help us uncover the vibrant world of literary education and discuss some of the projects within the Literary Education Lab at the faculty that are reshaping the way that we think about literature and its connection to all of us. Today we have Professor Larissa McLean-Davies and Elaine Horton from the Literary Education Lab. Their work critically engages with literature, theory and praxis, examining everything from consent literature to digital technology's role in the teaching of literature. Larissa and Elaine, welcome to Talking Teaching. Thank you. Hi. Welcome both. Larissa, I'm going to start with you. It's wonderful to have you here. Your experience is extensive and as well as currently being the Deputy Dean and the Professor of Teacher Education, you've been a teacher, a leader, an academic, leading large-scale teacher education research. One of the things that I want to talk about today, and I'm really excited to have both you and Elaine here, is you founded the Literary Education Lab in 2019 with Dr Sarah Truman. Can you tell us a little bit about the lab and what you're currently exploring in it? Thanks, Sophie. Well, the lab was formed in 2019. Uh, Dr. Sarah Truman came to Australia from Canada um, via Manchester, and she was really uh, interested in the teaching of literature. And she came as the postdoc uh, at that time on a project that I was leading called Investigating Literary Knowledge in the Making of English Teachers. And through that project and through Sarah's work, we developed um, the lab, which is really looking at interdisciplinary knowledge and the way that literature and the teaching of literature in all societies shapes cultural identities, can address and draw to the surface injustices and really is a key mechanism by which we can imagine a different future for ourselves. So we were really interested in other scholars and teachers who were doing this work. Um, We had a vision that we would be able to develop this lab, which is an interdisciplinary virtual lab with colleagues uh, from across the world, you know, centred here at the University of Melbourne and that we would have PhD students such as Elaine who would be coming and uh, taking on their own work and taking up issues of knowledge and identity and the teaching of literature in different kinds of ways. So one of the uh, really exciting projects on the horizon for the Literary Education Lab is the Reading Climate Project, which is looking at 
the role of Indigenous knowledge as sustainability in school English. And I'm really excited to be working with lab colleagues, Dr Sarah Truman, Associate Professor Sandra Phillips, Dr Claire Archuline, Professor Melita Hogarth and Professor Marcia McKenzie on this ARC linkage project with our partners who include AATE, the Association for the uh, Teaching of English in Australia, um, Voice Ed Canada, Feral Arts, and also our long-term partners, the Stella Prize, the prize for, um, for women and non-binary writers in Australia. So this is going to be a great piece of work, and we're looking at running interdisciplinary book groups around Australia for two years where we can really build knowledge of Indigenous literatures and issues of climate education. So the lab is therefore really interested in supporting research that is going to help us change the story and really supporting teachers to change the story in their classrooms. Now that's terrific, Larissa. I wondered when you said that you were imagining a different future, what is the role of literature? This has changed over time. When we think about the history of the teaching of texts and stories in the place we now call Australia, we need to understand that uh, literature had a particular colonial positionality in this country. And certainly the teaching of English was very much, and many scholars have spoken about this, about becoming more English. The teaching of literature was one of the major mechanisms by which you would understand when you were living in Australia in the colonies how, in fact, uh, life was in other places, where life was in Britain. So when we think about what is the Literary Education Lab and what's the teaching of literature about now, it is certainly unsettling some of those understandings and recognising that we have really significant stories that have not been shared as much as they should be and, in fact, have been marginalised in school curricula. And I think we need to look no further than the outcome of our recent referendum to see, in fact, that stories, particularly stories by Indigenous Australians, have not had um, the profile that they should have in the, in the school curriculum. And that's not to say that there hasn't been efforts to uh, address that over time, particularly since 2008, where the teaching of Australian literature has been mandated in the school curriculum in Australia. But there's much work to do for us to think differently about the role of stories, because we all know when we are exposed to the stories of others and when we hear a story that um, is different to our experience, we can, and this links with Elaine's work, we can develop an empathetic response. We can understand in different ways how those people at those times, uh, whether they be um, you know, living in a different time to us or living in a different community to us, how we can experience that. So as um, certainly for non-Indigenous Australians, it's absolutely vital that the stories of Indigenous Australians are well circulated and well taken up. And there are there have been some challenges for that in the school system, and we can talk about that as we go on. But in terms of thinking about what is the role of literature, it is to enable a society to understand each other and to imagine a way forward and to learn from the past, the stories that, that discuss the past, and also to imagine new futures. And I'm particularly thinking there, um, many of our Indigenous writers in Australia are particularly 
uh, focusing on issues of climate and country. And we know certainly in our project around reading climate that this is a key way of young people being able to understand issues of climate education quite differently in ways that Indigenous Australians have known and understood for millennia. So it's accessing that knowledge and being able to understand that and having access to stories that really have shaped this country but perhaps have not been available certainly across the years of schooling as we would have hoped they would be. I might come over to you, Elaine, and Mm -hmm. you also, like Larissa, are a teacher and an academic. You're starting your academic journey. You're coming to the end of your PhD journey. So what do you think about these things that we've just been discussing? So I was just thinking as Larissa was speaking there of something sort of a little bit pithy that I often think about when I'm thinking about the role of literature, and that is that that books are windows and mirrors, right? So windows into other worlds, other realities, other people's lives, but at the same time mirrors of ourselves and we can see something of ourselves in these texts and we can connect with others and start to build something of that empathetic uh, empathetic connection that we're hoping to promote as English teachers. Could you tell us a little bit about your own research and your PhD? Sure, happy to. Um, so I'm about two-thirds into my PhD. I am exploring the emotional provocations of texts in senior English classrooms. So in particular, I'm interested in difficult knowledge texts. Now, these are the texts that are challenging or confronting, not because of the cognitive uh, levels, um, but because of the emotional dimensions of the texts. So often what we're seeing as we seek to diversify the text list more and more Mm -hmm. is a lot of text with traumatic themes, with things like domestic violence, um, racism, racial bullying, racial violence, all of these really heavy emotional themes um, coming through the text. So this is what we would call a difficult knowledge text. Mm. We've got a lot of these coming through our classrooms and teachers are, from what I've observed and what I've experienced as well as a teacher, finding it quite difficult a bit of a challenge to negotiate some of the emotional aspects of these texts. So when I first started, when I was on my very first placement here as an MTeach student at Melbourne Uni, I was thrust into a year 11 English classroom with Maxine Beniba Clark's Foreign Soil, a beautiful book, a very important book. And it is very important that we have these difficult knowledge texts in our curriculum. But as someone who had very little experience and knowledge at that time. It was my very first placement. Reading aloud some of these short stories to the class and seeing some of the students react so differently, some with tears, some just clearly visibly upset and unsettled and disturbed. Me as the placement teacher standing out the front, I really had no idea what to do in that moment. And I asked my mentor teacher, they said, you know, look at this, look at this. But there wasn't really any kind of concrete advice on how to handle these emotional responses. Um, And so that's what led me on this path to investigate, well, what is actually happening in these classrooms? How are the students reacting? What are they feeling? And what are these feelings actually doing in terms of influencing the teaching and the learning that is taking place? 
Just for those who don't know about the text, can you just explain what what those short stories are about? So in that particular situation, I was reading the titular short story, Foreign Soil, aloud to the class, and we were discussing that. Um, And that has some quite graphic domestic violence scenes in it. And I just remember reading some of those passages aloud and then looking out and looking across the room and seeing what was previously a very articulate and confident group sort of shrinking into themselves a little bit, not sure how they should respond, what they should say, what they should do, and just seeing all of these different feelings and myself feeling that as the teacher in the room. It was very unsettling for me as a teacher and clearly the students were struggling in all sorts of different ways as well. Yeah, hugely confronting because we can be clear about the curriculum, we can be clear about the literature that we're we're sharing, but the the emotive mm. and the emotional response and how teachers take that on, I'm sure, is quite different. What did you find? Yes, absolutely. So some of the emergent findings that I've identified, one of the aspects that I thought was quite interesting is quite a large discrepancy between what the teachers are assuming students are feeling in response to the text, so personal and emotional responses to the texts, and what the students are actually reporting that they feel in response to the text. So, for example, I was looking at, again, Maxine Beneva-Clark, who we actually have as a poet in residence at the moment Mm. at the University of Melbourne, brilliant author. So it was actually one of her other books, her memoir, The Hate Race. So I was following how The Hate Race was taught in a year 11 English classroom. The teacher in her interviews made a lot of assumptions about what she believed her students were feeling and would feel in response to the text. She believed that her students would feel too far removed from the representations of bullying and racism in the hate race. However, in their survey responses and in the classroom discussions and in the textual annotations that I've actually seen from the students in that class, they were actually feeling these things very deeply and very personally. Um, So there's a lot of discrepancies and I think that's really interesting from a professional learning perspective point of view in terms of how we can equip English teachers to deal with some of these issues is just understanding that student responses to text can be so unpredictable and so diverse and we need to keep that in mind as we're teaching. Absolutely. So was there anything that particularly surprised you? So one thing that I did see that was very interesting was one student in that same group, so they were studying the hate race, The teacher was enacting a pedagogy of discomfort, so was really trying to unsettle her students in a very direct way. And the students were responding in, again, very unpredictable and diverse ways. And I think we need to think really carefully about something like a pedagogy of discomfort. It's important to challenge our students and unsettle them. The prologue of The Hate Race, it's set in Melbourne. So it was very close to home for these students and they talked about that in their lessons. All of these sorts of things I think are very interesting and we need to investigate further. Absolutely. I might actually ask both of you this. Um, That's really interesting to talk about 
text that is within the Melbourne or Australian context as these students may have, as you mentioned, Larissa, you know, had texts outside of either the country or things that weren't representative of, of, of real life. What do you both think about texts now being connected to the students and, and us now asking these really important questions? I think, yeah, there's a few things it's probably worth picking up, particularly around some of Elaine's findings or emerging findings, still much in progress, the PhD, uh, and around that. In terms of what we're doing when we are experiencing texts that are closer to home, it's indeed what we want to be doing is English has always been about engaging young people in the important issues of the day. And we've seen that that, that notion of personal growth, which is something that has been fundamental to the teaching of literature in this country and in other countries as well. Uh, I guess what Elaine's pointing out is that for some of our students, that's particularly uncomfortable when reading a text that is outside their experience, being confronted with that. I think what it raises for us is certainly not the non-teaching of such texts, um, but ways in which we support teachers to develop the kinds of pedagogies and the kinds of knowledges that they need to have to be able to really um, adequately support our students as we're working with these texts and to be confident to do that. So I think that that's one of the, the really significant things and certainly that the lab is looking at is, you know, because we are in a in a world where we have all forms of difficult knowledge. Uh, our news is filled with difficult and traumatic knowledge. The history curriculum uh, is filled with difficult knowledge. You know, we have uh, the history of revolutions often taught in, in this state, in Victoria, which is filled with all forms of difficult knowledge um, and difficult histories. We have Australian history as well. So I think one of the challenges for for us is to understand that we are bringing texts forward which are absolutely crucial but to teach them in such a way where students are able to express um, how they are responding to that and that there's time for understanding the impact that those texts certainly from that research are having um, and we can see that in, in different environments as well. I guess the caution would be that we need to be careful to not um, avoid texts that we might find are making uh, us uncomfortable or that are telling narratives that need to be told because that's another form of challenge for us as teachers. We need to be very careful when we're talking about these things, these difficult knowledge texts, that we're not looking to erase the histories that are represented in these texts. Although it is often very difficult and uncomfortable for teachers to take up these texts. We need to absolutely do that. We just need to equip them to do that. Certainly, I know that in some research that the lab has done, we have had teachers reporting back saying that their students, when uh, the hate race was on the syllabus, some of the students in the classroom said this is the first time that they had seen their own experiences reflected in the English classroom and that their own stories were being taken up in certain kinds of ways. So we do need to also think of who's being made uncomfortable and how is this discomfort happening and, you know, what stories have we had over time uh, that we haven't perhaps interrogated. Some of the work that the lab has done has been around consent and issues of consent and the work that, that we've 
uh, shown is, in fact, that issues of consent or non-consent are really foundational to the teaching of literature, uh, but we haven't even drawn attention to it. You know, there's a, there's a whole range of canonical texts that take up non-consent in certain kinds of ways. So these things have been part of our conversation and sometimes we don't notice that, but we do notice a more contemporary text that might make us uncomfortable. So there's some challenge there for us as well as what's become normative. Schools get to pick their own texts within the Year 11 and 12 context. What would you say to schools about the challenges of which books to pick or what literature is important and why literature is important? So one of the pieces that I was um, fortunate to work with others in writing some years ago was around auditing text lists and the idea that if you can imagine, and Elaine has a lovely story about this from a head of English, if you can imagine what a a child will experience what are the texts that they've read over their lifetime at school because for many young people the majority of their reading might happen during their school years. Alfred Tatum from the University of Illinois coined this idea of the book print and and he says it's the five texts in your life that have really shaped you. One of the things that we encourage in our work in the lab for English teachers to consider or anyone who's teaching texts is what are the five texts that have shaped your impression? What is missing from those five and what is needed for your students at this time and it may be different indeed it is very likely to be different to what was considered by teachers who taught you that in fact those were the most important texts at the time the challenge is to then think about the book print to think about the students in the room to think about the stories that those young people will carry into their adulthood and who will then be telling stories to others Um, There's been quite a bit of research to say that um, people are able to even quote from the texts they studied in the senior years of high school, many, many years after high school. So we're embedding those stories in the minds of students in Australia and elsewhere. And in countries that have been colonised, when we are looking at anti-colonial practices, it's important for us to think about what does that look like? What are we going to be quoting in the future? What are our young people going to be quoting in the future? And to, I get to to one of Elaine's earlier points, to actually have assessment practices when we have the opportunity to have assessment practices that allow really meaningful engagement with those stories, we need to take those opportunities as well. It's a challenge in a high stakes testing environment which we find ourselves in, in Australia, But there are opportunities for very generative, meaningful engagement with stories that, um, as Elaine said, are are mirrors to ourselves that allow us to expand our understanding so that we can have book prints, uh, that our our young people can have book prints that reflect the diversity of Australian voices in this place. You founded the the Literary Lab with, with Dr Sarah Truman only a few years ago. What excites you the most about this? Sophie, there's many things that excite me. One is that we are now um, finding that young researchers who have often been teachers uh, who are beginning their academic careers are coming and seeking the opportunity to investigate these issues further. I do believe, as, as I've indicated, that story and literature is a key mechanism by which you can change the social imaginary of a place that you can contribute to that. And so research in this area, working alongside teachers, having the opportunity to work with partners such as the Stella Prize is key and really exciting in terms of the way forward. For myself, I've learnt particularly around 
rethinking issues of knowledge uh, and ways of rethinking particularly the role of English and how we understand knowledge in that subject, how we understand the role of the literary and fundamentally the central role of Indigenous knowledges in all that we uh, teach in this place and the role of other nations that are also addressing and looking at anti-colonial practices and the way in which we might make links. The literary is a little like education itself in that it is essentially multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary. And so one of the great joys is being able to connect with researchers and teachers, social scientists, climate scientists, to really think about the unifying way in which stories bring together these different disciplines. Just quickly, though, did you have five texts that shaped you? What is your book print? Even one of those stories, was there something that stuck out from your childhood? and schooling. The thing about a book print is that we sometimes think it is fixed in time and what I think is the most productive understanding of a book print is one that actually changes over time where you retain some of those texts, of course, that stay with you. And, you know, there's a range of those. For me, there was Tiralira by the River by Jessica Anderson, which was important at a time. But I look at that now and I think, what are the stories I didn't know, Australian stories I didn't know when I found that text so mm. foundational and fundamental and I would have a different book print and do have a different book print now. And so that's another thing for us all to consider. How does that grow and change over time according to the texts that we're reading and the stories we're circulating and sharing? I think that will resonate really well with all of our listeners. What about for you, Elaine? Um, I was thinking of something that wasn't necessarily on the curriculum, but it was just something that I found when I was in high school. Somewhat cliched, I suppose, as a young as a young girl um, with Sylvia Plath, but I just loved it and it, it inspired me. And I was so hungry for poetry for such a long time, and I think that speaks to. Another part of my work, which is trying to empower teachers to actually allow students more agency to choose texts that they would like to study. Because when I was a young woman, um, I was so hungry for poetry and my teachers supported that. Um, and I've had some students in recent years showing similar inclinations and I was able to support them as well. So that's something that I would love to see um, as an outcome of my research and our work in the lab as well is just more room for student agency in tech selection as well. So we should take the opportunity to just advertise an opportunity for teachers and researchers to join this conversation that's being uh, led really by the lab in, in 2024, and that is through the conference called um, ARL IFTI. So ARL is the International Association for uh, Research in Language, uh, First Language Education, so looking at the teaching of literature in all different contexts around the world, um, Europe, Asia, coming here for the first time in Australia in the Southern Hemisphere in June around the 18th of June, and uh, IFTI is the International Federation for the Teaching of English, so we're really looking forward to that opportunity for us to surface and investigate the ways that the literary uh, is being taught and researched all across the globe. And I'll just add to that, Larissa, we are having a special professional learning day for teachers at the Faculty of Education on Saturday the 22nd of June next year, so 2024. 
the link to the website will be in the show notes. Um, so please look that up and we'd love to have you join us for some learning and further discussion. Can I ask you both, what does this mean for professional learning within the school context? Professional learning around the teaching of texts has often been focusing on an individual text. So one might go to a conference or to a professional learning day and really uh, understand this new text that might be being set or um, resources that are being shared. I think what the research of the lab is showing is that if we're going to really ensure that teachers have confidence to teach texts that may be different to the ones that have often been in the, in the syllabus or on the curriculum, then we really need to give them the opportunity to be asking questions about those texts. We need to be in a dialogic kind of space, which is why in the lab we've moved to thinking about book groups, thinking about ways in which teachers can build their knowledge through actively engaging in texts. In the consent project that uh, we undertook in the last couple of years, what we saw was that, that the teachers who were involved in actually and, and very actively engaging with texts and thinking about issues of consent, in fact, we're building new knowledge, and this has been a lot of the work of the lab, that teachers are knowledge brokers, teachers are building new knowledge. And so rather than thinking about accessing a resource or being given some um, material that can then be used, we know that the best kind of professional learning for teachers is having access to quality resources, but then being able to see how that shifts their own understandings of reading, of texts. So these are the things that really do make a difference. Yeah, I would agree. And I would just say, especially with some of these texts that are unfamiliar in terms of, um, you know, vastly different kinds of stories to what teachers are comfortable with, there is an element of risk involved. If this is very far removed from your own experience or you're worried you might say the wrong thing, and of course, you know, that's very natural and, and totally fair enough, there is that risk factor. And so we do need to look at these more comprehensive kinds of professional learning programs that can empower teachers to then go on and empower their students with these kinds of texts. So is there anything that you would say as well to teachers themselves to what they can enact in the classroom and also to school leadership as far as professional development and what they can do if they're listening? And certainly for school leaders, we know that this kind of uh, focus on the literary can really be something that extends well beyond the English classroom. So we know of schools who in fact take up a text to read together across faculties, across groups, and begin these kinds of conversations. So this is one thing that's really important. Another aspect is the nature of this professional learning and seeing a value in an ongoing community of practice around these kinds of ideas, which in fact connects beyond the school community often, so that teachers are not even restricted to other teachers' views within Victoria or within New South Wales or Western Australia, but in fact have access to the conversations beyond their local context. So relevant in the local context, but hearing the views of other teachers, we find that incredibly powerful, but often not the way we've structured professional learning over time. So there's several things I think we can do to really put in place uh, something that's going to be very significant. And we also know that sometimes when we're bringing new texts in, our parent groups can also be concerned around this. And we can see that, uh, that there's some conversation that needs to happen around understanding why 
stories are important and why diverse stories are important. So there's a particularly important role for leadership to play in communicating the vision and the understanding of the role of the literary with school communities as well. Mm. I would add that something that might be familiar to many people, especially English teachers, that's a an example of what this could look like is something like an ongoing reading circle, you know, like a book club, but much more focused on the kinds of texts that you might want to enact in the curriculum. So something more regular, like a reading circle, um, could be one way that we can realise this kind of professional learning. And to recognise that is actually building new knowledge. Mm, absolutely. So whatever way we go, we absolutely, communication is key in this. And it's about the why. Why are we doing this? Thank you both for joining us. Um, For more on this topic, don't forget to visit our website and read the latest work and the latest research linked in this description. Thank you both very much for joining us. Thanks, Sophie. I would like to extend my deepest gratitude to our esteemed guests, Professor Larissa McLean-Davies and Elaine Horton, for their invaluable insights on the broader impact of literature on students and educators and how their research has the capability to open a myriad of possibilities for future educational practices through the Literary Education Lab. Thank you again to all of our listeners for tuning in to Talking Teaching, and we hope this dialogue has sparked new ideas and perspectives for your own teaching and learning experiences. I would also like to thank our entire podcast team and their contributions, together with the University of Melbourne's Faculty of Education. This podcast was recorded in November of 2023.